Hey there, Madison Church. Merry Christmas. My name is Carrie Latticer, and I pastor a church here in the Chicagoland area, a community Christian church. And when Pastor Stephen invited me to get to share with your community a Christmas message, I was so pumped to get to join you today. Uh, I just want to start by addressing, you know, my name, Carrie Latticer. Uh, he did a really good job saying it there, but usually, and especially here when I got to my community, I get Carrie Lassiter or Carrie Latticer or all sorts of things like that. Uh, when I first started my job here, actually, a, a good friend of mine now said that he was having coffee with some friends and said, oh, I got to go. I got to run. I'm going to have a meeting with Pastor Ludacris. And that has really stuck now, uh, Pastor Ludacris. And I feel so seen by my community here because you should know, uh, in the fifth grade, I ran for student body president and I wrapped my speech. I'm not going to wrap any sort of Christmas wrap for you uh, here, but isn't it great to be seen and be celebrated? If you invited a friend to church and they said no, I hope you'll tell them that Ludacris was at your church, and I promise they will never again turn down an invitation to join you. I'm amazed by the remarkable meaning of the story that we celebrate at Christmas. And maybe you've heard it dozens of times before, and if that's the case, I want to invite you to hear with fresh ears today, or perhaps you've never heard this story, and I want to encourage you to enter in with awe and wonder. There are elements of the Christmas story that are so compelling, they're almost hard to believe. And that's just with a surface reading. I mean, a virgin birth, uh, God choosing to give up all power and authority to join us in human skin here in this broken world, that's wild enough. Add to that that you have angels declaring this divine child will be born. First to the baby's mother, Mary, in a time when the culture would have barely even recognized her agency as a woman. The angel addresses her. Check this out. It starts in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 33. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, this is pretty remarkable already, but notice the angel declares God's favor on her and his presence with her. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. This type of greeting is more than just agency or dignity. This type of greeting would have bestowed 
honor on Mary. This type of language would have been used previously in the story of Mary's people, the Israelites. Before a mighty leader was anointed for their purpose or sent to rescue people, this is the type of language that would have been used. This powerful language was typically reserved for priests and kings in the story of God's people. Clearly, Mary was perplexed. We'll pick up in verses 34 through 37. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. It's kind of odd. It's almost as if the angel here wanted to endorse that this nearly impossible to believe thing is going to happen by revealing to Mary this other nearly impossible to believe thing was happening. Mary's barren cousin is going to have a child in her old age. Now, if you're familiar with the story, you know Elizabeth's husband, Zachariah, also had a hard time believing this news. Just before where we picked up the story in Luke 1, when he learns that his wife is going to conceive and have a baby, his mouth was shut. He was silenced. When the angel came to share the news of the pregnancy, he responded to the angel in disbelief. Now, some scholars say that he was silenced as punishment for his unbelief. Some might think that it was protection because laughing and saying that your woman is too old to be pregnant probably isn't the wise thing to do in front of your wife that is six months pregnant. Or perhaps the silence was allowing him, inviting him to stop speaking in order to truly hear. My friend Drew Jackson wrote a poem about how upside down this whole scene is, and I just, I just can't shake it. I love the words he uses here. Listen to this. He says, but God speaks through wombs, birthing prophetic utterances, the object of public scorn, given the power to name the happenings of the Lord. Elizabeth is her name. Say her name. It is she who will be the one through whom the covenant is kept. She, like a priestess, speaks her word while the leading male voices are shut. Enough. Enough of this unbelieving religion that masquerades as faith. Divine favor is placed on what we have disgraced. Isn't that beautiful language? Divine, divine favor is placed on what we have disgraced. But Mary's response, it's quite different than Zachariah's response. It's perhaps the most remarkable part. In Luke chapter 1, verse 38, this is how Mary responds. I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. 
And then the angel left her. Now, for us to fully comprehend the weight of this response, there are a few key things for us to understand. Mary, as the text said, was engaged at this time, but unmarried. The religious tradition of her time had strict rules and would have expected her to remain pure until she was married. There were steep consequences if she broke these laws. Not to mention, I'd imagine explaining an immaculate conception to an abstaining fiancé would be pretty tricky, to say the least. There were, of course, lots of risks involved with Mary saying yes to this. Childbearing was ripe with complications at this time. Survival rates weren't close to what they are now. And who knew if her family would stick around to be by her side? I also wonder if perhaps Mary knew what the future of that child's trajectory might be as well. You see, for generations, Mary's family had been longing for a savior. They had been followers of God. They knew of the rescue of God's people from slavery in Egypt. They knew about the miraculous parting of the Red Sea. They knew about God's faithfulness to deliver them into the promised land, even though they grumbled at God through their wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. I don't know about you, but I have two kids and I struggle to not lose my mind after 40 minutes of grumbling. Mary's people, they had heard the stories of God's faithfulness, but they also knew what it was like to wait. For hundreds of years, they lived in exile or empire oppression, and they longed for God as their rescuer. They held tightly to the words of the prophets who foretold the Messiah that would come. Prophets like Micah and Jeremiah predicted the coming king. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7 says this about the long anticipated coming king. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. See, all throughout Mary's life, she practiced this faith tradition that was full of anticipation for this coming king. Who would have imagined parenting him? Any parent or anyone longing to be a parent knows what it means to have hope and expectation for your child's future. And of course, it would be customary for Joseph to have hopes and expectations for his marriage too. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that that likely didn't include raising someone else's baby. (laughs) I mean, we can be super spiritual and talk about what a privilege it would have been to raise the offspring of the divine, right? 
we have to also recognize that the community and the cultural expectations for a man in Joe's shoes would have been to turn over his bride-to-be to be stoned to death because she was pregnant before they were married. We can tell Joseph was probably a pretty stand-up guy because in Matthew's telling of the story, we know that Joseph planned to break off the wedding quietly, not to shame Mary, until he heard from an angel in a dream. I think this is part of what I find most surprising about the whole Christmas story, simply how subversive it all is. Maybe more than subversive, this story is scandalous. It seems nearly every detail circumvents convention and even flips the cultural norms on their head. For me, the two greatest surprises are that God chooses to enter into our human story and how he chooses to do it. All throughout the Old Testament of the Bible, we read God's great redemption plan. He made this world and it was good. There was mutual flourishing. There was goodness between humans and with humans and creation. It didn't take long for humans to disrupt God's intentions for how the world would work. But ever since that time, God has been pursuing us and extending his rescue plan towards us. No matter how destructive we have been, no matter how far we have strayed, no matter how many times we have lost our way, he continues to pursue us and invite us to redemption and restoration. I grew up in a pretty messed up family with a pretty messed up home life and a a faith tradition that was akin to sort of like a spiritual prosperity gospel. Sort of like A plus B equals C type of thinking that the right behavior modification, don't drink, don't cuss, don't have sex, and everything will go well for you, right? Which maybe unintentionally taught me that good things were earned and that bad things were deserved. That That's just not really how it works, right? In my later years as an adult, when I went through a really tough time in life. I realized that this faith tradition I had been handed didn't have room for suffering. It it didn't have room for questioning or for difficulty. And I found myself stuck wandering in the wilderness, wondering what I had done to deserve this. I learned in that season that following Jesus doesn't mean tough times won't come. It means that when tough times come, he won't leave you. He pursues us continually. And the second profound thing that stands out to me in the story that we get to celebrate at Christmas is how God chose to enter into our story. Of all the ways that the king of the universe, the creator of the cosmos, the sustainer of all things could have come down from heaven and moved towards us, he chose to do it as a human. He chose to come in the form of a vulnerable and needy baby, born to unwed refugee parents who had to run and hide out from some insecure tyrant of a king who was so worried about his power being threatened that he ordered all the male babies in his kingdom to be killed. I mean, I don't mean 
for this to sound crass, but God chose to enter into the world as a tiny baby human who had needs, who needed to be nursed and changed, diaper changed, (laughs) to experience every challenge and every heartbreak that we experience. He chose to experience having needs and desires, to walk a life that would have grief and anger. God chose to become like us in an attempt to make us more like him. Philippians 2 verses 6 through 11 put it this way. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. It's worth noting here that this surprising way God chooses to enter into our story doesn't just defy our expectations. It didn't live up to his early followers either. You see, for hundreds of years, they held out hope that this Messiah would come and rescue them. This Messiah that would rule and reign forever. And it wouldn't have been easy for them to imagine that it would have happened in this way. Likely they would have thought that it would have happened through mighty armies and political power. Like many of us, they may have expected the rule to come like most human kings would, through power and might and ruling with an iron fist. Maybe being born into royalty with like a procession line of important people paying honor to the king. But Jesus came to this unassuming couple in a a borrowed space on the outskirts of town with the lowest in society, the shepherds keeping watch. Some animals and the least of these bearing witness to the miraculous entrance of the divine king taking on flesh, entering into our story. As the angel says in Matthew's telling of the story, Emmanuel which means God with us. Family, this means God with us in our humanity, God with us in our vulnerability. It means God with us in our victory, God with us in our longings, God with us in our circumstances, God with us in our losses, God with us in our anxieties, God with us in our failures. And I don't know about you, but I see this as remarkably good news. 
See, Jesus didn't come for the cleaned up version of ourselves, right? He isn't far off and sort of keeping his distance until we have all of our crap together. No, he is with us, in it with us. The last year and a half, it's been full of losses and longings. For some of us, dreams have been shattered, days full of discouragement. Many of us are feeling disillusioned right now. In this season, it's changing us. We still haven't seen the full impact of the changes of this season, but all of us will come out of this season differently than we entered into it. I have a pastor friend who jokes about this and he tells his congregation, all of us are going to come out of this time differently. You're going to come out of it either a chunk, a hunk, a drunk, or a monk. And he's right. All of us are going to come out of this time differently. Author Wendell Berry says this. He says, it gets darker and darker and then Jesus is born. He basically nails 2021, right? And we read that with the birth of our Savior comes incalculable hope. The word of God is ripe with promises about this king and the unassuming way that he entered into the world. See, this king, he doesn't force himself on anyone. He pursues us. This kingdom he came to establish isn't some earthly kingdom or form of political government. Rather, it's an entire cosmic redemption plan. The prophet Isaiah says that our paths will be made straight, that the valley shall be lifted up, that every mountain and hill made low, that the uneven ground will become smooth and the rugged land a smooth plain, that the oppressed will see justice, that the captives will be set free, that the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all of humanity together will see it. Those of us that follow Jesus will experience freedom. We will experience his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. John, the author of Revelation, says that God will make all things new. Jesus came. He entered into our story to redeem what has been broken, to resurrect the dead places in us, to restore what has been lost. That is perhaps the greatest part of the story God is writing, the hope that Jesus offers, the hope that he offers to us today, the the miracle that is found in this Christmas, this is the hope that we celebrate this Christmas. That even if you're hurting now, healing is coming. That in this barren season of winter, when things go dormant, spring is still on its way. That in your longings and your unmet expectations, Jesus meets you. He enters in to your story. He doesn't always alleviate our burdens, but he walks with us in them. He carries them with you. He isn't some distant, far-off God. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is with you. He is for you. 
May you have the courage to believe just as the early Christ followers and many others in this ancient tradition have for thousands of years that in Jesus, there is nothing too broken that he can't mend it. Nothing too dead that he can't resurrect it. There is nothing too lost that he can't find it. Family, may you be surprised at how Jesus enters into your world and may you experience in your everyday ordinary life the extraordinary Emmanuel, God with us. Would you pray with me? God, I know that there are people in this church family who are hurting right now. Father, I ask that you would be with them in the midst of their pain, God, that you would pour out your spirit in the places that they are, that everyone right now would experience your peace and your presence. God, that we would experience Emmanuel, God, with us in every circumstance that we are navigating. God, where uh, there is darkness, where there is a lack of hope, would you pour out hope? Where there is fear and anxiety, would you bring peace? God, where there is desperation, would you break in with your light and with your hope? And Father, through your spirit and through one another, our brothers and sisters, our siblings, would we experience your goodness? God, your will, would we taste heaven on earth as it is in heaven? Father, would your kingdom come and your will be done? We love you. We thank you for the gift that we have in Jesus. And it's in his precious name that we pray. Amen. Merry Christmas, Madison Church.